You're listening to the first first time home buyers podcast. Hit it. Ready to buy your first home? Want the 411 on how to buy and get the most house for your money? Welcome to the first time home buyers podcast where you'll discover everything you ever wanted to know about buying your first home, but were afraid to ask. Now, from Austin, Texas, here's your host, licensed realtor, Shane Blackshear. Well, that pretty much said it all. I am Shane Blackshear. I'm your host, and this is the first episode of the First Time Home Buyers podcast. I am so excited about this. I hope that you are too. Uh, first, a little bit about me. I'm a licensed realtor with Keller Williams. That's my broker. I have been a, a realtor for a while now, and I almost work exclusively with first-time homebuyers. And I have to say that I love working with first-time homebuyers. I love the questions. I love everything about it. And I love that I'm working with people who are usually about my age and more times than not they become my friends and so that's why I'm doing this podcast my goal here is to give away so much information so that by the time that you're done listening that you are more educated than 99% of the consumers out there think about it this is one of the biggest purchases that you will ever make in your life and so you're doing the right thing by listening to podcasts like this, by reading books, by doing uh, research on the internet. And so that's what this is here for. I will be honest. I want you to use me as your realtor. If you're in the Austin, Texas area, the greater Austin, Texas area, I want you to call me. I want you to email me. And I want to be your realtor. But I want also to educate I want you to know what you need to know. And listen, if you don't use me, that's okay. This information is still for you. I want you to have it. I want you to be educated. I want you to know what you're getting into. And, and so, um, so a little bit of background about me. I uh, Before I was in real estate, I was in the nonprofit sector and did some different things there. I actually worked for the state of Texas for a while. I've done a few things here and there. But I got into real estate, and I have to say, I really like it. And like I said, I really like working with first-time home buyers. So that's the premise of this podcast: free information, overload of free information. And maybe, just maybe, you will be so thankful for me to me for giving you all this information that you would want to use me as your realtor, as your real estate professional, as your resource. So that's my hope for this podcast: that you learn everything that you need to know about buying your first home, okay? So, let me give you a little bit of, of uh, housekeeping before we get started. Here's, here's how this is going to work. This is the first podcast. During this first podcast, we are going to run through an average real estate transaction all the way from deciding to purchase a home to the closing table, to signing the documents, to having the keys handed over to you at the last day, the closing day. That's what we'll do this for first podcast. Uh, it, like I said, it'll just be an overview. And, and so there'll probably be some questions that you have that I won't answer. That time will not allow during this first podcast uh, broadcast. So one thing, two things concerning that. One, email me with your questions. 
email me with your questions. I will respond, and when it's pertinent, I'll respond on the on the podcast that relates to that question. So you can here's my email. You can email me with your questions. Okay, Shane S H A N E dot Blackshear B L A C K S H E A R at K W as in Keller Williams dot com. So it's my first name dot my last name at kw.com and i'll give that to you later in the show as well so if you didn't write it down it'll be coming as well later on so the the second thing concerning that is the way this will work is we'll do the outline this first this first podcast and then after that we'll break down each podcast into different parts of the real estate transaction so my plan right now is to uh, to go through the outline of the transaction. My plan for the second podcast will be to talk about the lending side, about choosing a lender, which is a huge deal. It's a huge step in the process of buying your first home. So we'll talk about that. I plan to interview a, a lender on the podcast. So I will go more into depth in each subject as it goes along. And so, for instance, if you email me tomorrow about a subject about lending, I'll, I'll answer it to you right then, uh, tomorrow through the email, but then I may very well answer it on air as well next time on the next podcast. So that's a, a little bit how that's going to work. So second one, probably do a lender, and then from there, we'll break it down further. We'll go down further down the line. Uh, we'll talk about the, the title company, and I may even interview somebody from a title company and talk about what's their job, what do they do exactly. Uh, we'll talk about an inspector, someone who comes out and inspects the home while you're under contract to make sure you're buying something that's quality, or at least you know what you're buying. We'll talk about all of that. And so, like I said, by the end of this, I don't know how many, I haven't even decided how many podcasts that's going to be, probably about 10 or so. At the end of that, you will know more than than 99% of the consumers out there. That is my hope. And and then after that, we'll go from there. Maybe we'll do some updates on some things, some new information, some maybe new loan programs and things like that. So let's get on with it. Now, <clears throat> I usually teach a first-time homebuyers class. Uh, you can go and find my latest first-time homebuyers class by going to firsttimehomebuyerguy.com. That's firsttimehomebuyerguy.com. You can go there, and that will lead you to my latest first-time homebuyers class. Uh, I charge just a little bit for that, and and you can do all this that we're going to do today. You can do it in person, and you can raise your hand and ask questions, and we can talk face-to-face, and it, it's kind of a cool thing. So that's basically what this is based on, what we're going to run through tonight. And so first, first off... Um, we're going to talk about some common fears. You're probably, if you're listening to this, you probably decided already that you're going to buy, or at least you're looking to, you're investigating it. But I want to talk about some common fears people have about home buying and some facts behind them, and, and then we'll, we'll go into the steps of the home ownership, okay? So the first one I want to address is, I can't afford to buy a home right now. That's a huge one. And, and frankly, there are a lot of realtors out there would say that, that of course you can afford to buy a home right now. Of course you can. There are these programs, there's these ways that you can do things. And, and the truth is, maybe some of you can't afford to buy a home right now. That's right. I'm a realtor telling you, maybe you can't afford to buy a home right now. 
And I don't want to talk you into it. I don't want to talk you into it. If it's not good for you, if you're going to be house poor, if you're going to regret this decision, if you're going to have to foreclose on your home in some time, sometime in the near future because I've told you, no, you can go ahead and afford it. I don't want to do that. But I do want you to investigate the routes possible in buying a home and know for sure, not just assume that you can't. All right. Now, a few years back, we got into a lot of trouble as a country because People thought everybody should buy a home and everybody could afford to buy a home. And it just turned out not to be true and it put us in a bad place. So we're going to talk about that. Um, for some of you, the reality is you can't afford not to buy a home because you're paying rent. And where's that going? It's going nowhere. You're not seeing any of that. At least when you're paying a mortgage, you're building, you're building equity in that, something that you're going to get back. That's a great thing about buying a home is it's a great investment. All right. The, the next fear, I should wait until the real estate market gets better. Now, I am standing here and and for the record, I am in the closet of my home right now because I don't I don't have a professional studio or anything. So I, I'm sitting here in the closet. I'm I'm DIY, DIY all the way. Uh, but it's in the middle right now. It's in the middle of of 2012. It is a great time to buy a home right now. So I don't know when you're listening to this. I think it'll be a great time to buy a home uh, for a while, for for a few years at least. But don't just assume that you need to wait till the market gets better because maybe it could get better. It could also get a lot worse. And so the best time to buy a home is when you're ready to buy a home. And, and so I, I just want you to know that going forward. The best time to buy a home is when you're ready to buy a home. And that's what we're here to help you figure out. Maybe the next one is, I don't have money for the down payment. Um, the reality is there's a variety of down payment options available to you. I know that the city of Austin has a down payment assistance program as well as the state of Texas. And, and, and so there are some ways out of that and we should investigate those things. Uh, but like I said, the, the days, thankfully, and this is a good thing, the days of a zero down loan are, are gone. And, and honestly, I think that that's a good thing because, like I said, we, we a few years ago started loaning money to people who really couldn't afford to pay it back. And we should have seen that coming and that got us into some trouble. And, and so I think that that's a good thing. But the reality is for a very small amount you can get a down payment for a home. You can have a down payment for a home. And so don't let that scare you around. Just the thought that I don't have enough money for the down payment. Well, how much do you think you have to have for a down payment? Well, I don't I don't know, but I just don't have a lot in the bank right now. Well, just investigate that. Just let's look into that. And then the next question that you might have or the next rebuttal you might have is maybe I can't afford to buy my dream home. Well, yeah, you probably can't. Your first home will probably not be your dream home. It's going to be a starter home. It's not going to be, you know, four beds and three baths. It's not for the family that you're going to have 10 years from now. It's for the family that you have now or maybe a year from now with a little room to grow. So the good thing about that is that if you buy now, if you buy a starter home now, and you pay that off and say you're ready to move in 
three years or five years, you're going to have three or five years of equity built into that home. So when you sell it, you can carry that on to the next home. Whereas if you rent, that money's just gone. And so the, the thing is, you probably can't buy your dream home the first time around, but it will get you a step closer to your dream home. You may have to make some sacrifices in the first home. It, it may not be perfect, but it's going to be good. It's going to be great. You're going to create some lasting memories there, and it will get you one step closer to your dream home. Okay, so we're going to we're going to jump right in a little bit further uh down the process now and and we're going to talk about the the actual steps, okay? So the steps to home ownership and, and we've talked a little bit about why you should buy and we'll talk a little bit about why you should decide to buy. We're going to talk also about hiring your agent, which is going to be fun. We're going to talk about uh getting financing, finding a lender. We're going to talk about actually finding your home, going out and looking at houses. Then we're going to talk about making an offer and the, the things that go into that, the paperwork, the documents, the contracts. We're going to talk about performing your due diligence. Once you're under contract, what do you need to do to make sure that you want this house, that you're going to close on this house? Then we're going to talk about the actual closing process. And, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, protecting your investment once you've got it, that house. Okay, so deciding to buy. Uh Financial net worth comparisons, according to U.S. Federal Reserve Board of Consumer Finance, the average net worth of renters, they say, is $4,000. The average net worth of homeowners is $184,400. Did you catch that? This is not a stat that I made up. This is from the U.S. Federal Reserve Board of Consumer Finance. Average net worth of renters is $4,000. Average net worth of homeowners, $184,400. That is pretty amazing. You know, a home is the largest financial asset most people have due to equity and appreciation over time. The average annual appreciation rate nationally is 5 to 6%, and that's been since 1977. Now, your local appreciation rates will vary, but that's a very good investment these days. So let's pretend at 3% annual appreciation, a home purchased for $150,000 would grow to $364,000 in 30 years. Did you get that? At 3% annual appreciation, which is a little bit lower than average, a home purchased for $150,000 would grow to $364,000 in 30 years, which is the life of an average mortgage. Even at 1.5% annual appreciation, the same home would still grow to $234,000, excuse me, $234,462 in 30 years. So buying your first home, it is an emotional decision. A home, it represents your personal tastes, and, and it's, it's a place to call your own where you can do what you want. Um, the, but, but the other thing is it's, it's also a rational decision or it needs to be. And that's where I like to help as well. Um, you, you, through a home, you grow wealth like we talked about. Um, you, go, you build wealth through equity buildup and through uh, paying down your debt and the appreciation of your home. 
in the United States, you can take advantage of tax-deductible benefits, such as property and mortgage interest write-offs. So there's good some good benefits there as well. Okay. Um, so we've talked about that you can you can uh, build equity and you can bu you can uh, buy up in a few years, which is an amazing thing. Let, let's talk about renting because I live in a place here in Austin where renters are everywhere, everywhere. And let me tell you, the rent here in this town has just skyrocketed recently. And, and people who have never really thought about buying, who never thought they would buy, are starting to look into it because it's such a great investment right now. So let's take this case study. If you took out a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, which is a very, very common mortgage, for 150000 and you made monthly mortgage payments of $900, you would pay 324000 in mortgage and interest payments over the life of the loan. And after 30 years, you'd own a home with an appreciative value potential of $364,000. And that's calculating a 3% annual appreciation, which again is a little bit low. Uh, and, and that varies from place to place. But as you can see, that's a good investment. That's a really good thing. Whereas if you had, uh, you know, if you paid rent, say you're paying rent for $800 a month for 30 years. Even if your landlord never raised rent, which how likely is that to happen, you would still spend $288,000 and you would own nothing. You would have nothing. So you can start to see the benefit of why owning a home is a not only a great thing just for yourself personally to be able to do what you want, have that place to hang your hat, to come and go. It just makes good financial sense. All right. Now, let's move on. One of my favorite parts, hiring your agent. Real estate agents perform, or at least good ones perform, seven main roles. They're going to educate you about the market. They're going to tell you, are things going fast? Are things going slow? Is it a buyer's market? Or is it a seller's market? Things that you need to know. They're going to analyze your wants and needs. They're going to find out, well, do you, what do you want? What do you, do, do you want, you want, Three bedroom and two bathrooms, and and you want uh, a garage, and and you need a game room, and that's a necessity, and and you don't want uh you, you don't want uh, vinyl floors, and okay, well let's let's order these from least to greatest, and what what's something that you could live with, and or, or that you could even change once you moved into it, it's not permanent, and they're going to talk to you about those things. They're going to steer you to homes that fit your criteria. When I have clients meet with me, I get down all their criteria. I talk through it. I tell them what, what, is, uh, what is reasonable. What can they expect? And I write it all down and I put it in my system and I give them an automated search. So what that means is I put all that information into my computer. And depending on how many properties that turns back, I will send that, that, those properties to them to look at. But what it will also do is as new properties come on the market... As soon as it hits the multiple listing service, it'll be emailed straight to uh, straight to the client. So they'll see it as soon as it comes on. And so, you know, some opt for just a weekly email of all the new ones, especially if their search criteria is so broad that they get several every day. Maybe they just want an email once a week. But some, it's so small that they want that house ASAP because maybe only two houses come in the market every week in that criteria. So it'll go to them as soon as it comes on the market. So... 
They'll steer you to homes that fit your criteria. They're coordinate and work with other needed professionals. Uh, for example, I have, there's a, uh, an inspector in town. Uh, on my very first transaction, uh, this inspector came. He was recommended to me. And I was so impressed by him. And, and hopefully it, this will, we'll be interviewing him later on when we talk about inspections. Uh, but I, I was so impressed with him that he, he took my client. When he saw something that was a little bit wrong, he'd say, hey, hey, come over here. Let me show you this. And this is not exactly right, but it's, it's not a big deal. And let me tell you why. It's just not exactly up to code. Or maybe he'd say, listen, this isn't this way, but, and, and it's a really big deal. This really needs to be fixed. And he would explain it to him, and I love that. So I view that as part of my job is hooking you up with competent, uh, reliable professionals uh, so they'll coordinate the work with you, uh, the work of other needed professionals, negotiate on your behalf. Uh, there's so many variables to a contract and so many moving parts. And, and so, you know, I will, I will often tell my clients, look, um, you know, we made this offer and they're countering with this, but um, I, just, I don't think that's right. I don't think that you should be um, paying for the... Uh, the appraisal or I don't or not excuse me not the appraisal uh, the survey I don't think you should be paying for the survey and and they've got one that's perfectly valid so let's use that one and so that, that's part of my job is to negotiate on your behalf and that is with your permission I'm not ever going to do anything that uh, that you don't want me to do I will come to you and I'll explain hey I think we should do this and this is why and, and so I, I I view that as part of my job the other thing is reviewing paperwork and deadlines. Uh, you know, it's my job to make sure that all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, that, that there's the contracts are so long. It's my job to look through that and make sure everything is as it should be and that we meet the deadlines that we have. Uh, and those are important things. And the last one is just generally to solve any problems that might come up. Um, you know, a million and one things could come up, and it is my job to, to find ways to get through those where, where everybody's happy, where everybody wins, and, and we can move on. So that is, those are some things that I feel like are my job and that I do for my clients. And any good real estate agent should do those things. So let's talk about hiring an agent. You, obviously, if you're listening to this, are wanting to buy a home, not sell a home. So why do you need an agent? For buying a home, can can you not just you know find a sign that's in the yard of the house you want to buy and contact that agent? Well, you can, but you have to remember that agent works for the seller, not for you. They don't owe you anything, and so uh, the advantages are you you get someone who is in your corner, who's negotiating for you, is working on your behalf. I owe responsibility to my clients. If you come to me as a buyer, it is my job to do things in your best interest. And, and so that's why I hire an agent. Uh, the, other, the other thing is um, we have a, a sheet of paper called a buyer's representation agreement. Um, all agents from, from uh, my brokerage are required to have one signed, and I like that. That just sets up mutual expectations so that we all are on the same page about what I'm doing for you and what you can expect from me, and also in turn what you can, what I can expect from you. Um, I'm not going to, if you say, hey, I want to go look at this house, and hey, I like this house, and I'm thinking about buying it, and it's a really good deal, and I say, that is a really good deal. 
maybe I'll just buy it for myself. Now, I wouldn't do that regardless, but the buyer's representation agreement prevents me legally from doing that. It also protects me so that you don't, uh, that, that I don't spend my time, you know, working for you and finding houses and, and coordinating things and coordinating visits and going out and doing paperwork. And then you go out on a Sunday or a Saturday to an open house and buy a house behind my back. Now, I've never had a client where I've been worried about that. But the fact is that more transactions close, more buyers close on a house with the buyer's rep agreement uh, than those that don't. And it's by a pretty large number too. All right. So the basis of the buyer's representation agreement is it commits your agent to getting you into the home you want while you commit to working exclusively with that agent. Remember that. Buyer's representation agreements are good things. And I would say that any good agent will have you fill one out. All right. Six steps to financing a home. Choose a loan officer. Okay, we'll, we'll explain these in a little bit, but let me run through these. Make a loan application and get pre-approved. Three, determine what you want to pay and select the loan option. Then submit to the lender an accepted purchase offer contract and then get an appraisal and title commitment and then obtain funding at closing. And again, maybe that's all Greek to you and that's okay. We're going to explain that. Excuse me. We're going to explain that as we go on. So with your mortgage, there are three basic factors to consider when choosing a mortgage package. The first one is the down payment. How much are you going to have to actually put down at closing? The second one is the interest rate. What rate are they going to charge you to borrow their money? And the third one is the term. How long do you want this mortgage to be? Uh, I would say probably the biggest percentage of mortgages are for 30 years. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get one for 30. It's pretty hard to find one for longer than that, but it, it's fairly, it's easy, it's commonplace to find one shorter than that, especially like a 15-year mortgage. All right, so let's talk about uh, understanding your monthly payment. So let, let's say you buy the house and the, the next month rolls around and it's time for your first mortgage payment. And so you pay that. What is that money going to? What are you paying? Well, first you're paying principal, the cost of the house, the, the, what the house costs. That's what the bulk of what your money is going to, the principal. The second thing is the interest, what the bank, what the lender is charging you to borrow that money. The third thing is taxes. Part of your taxes will be rolled into uh, to that mortgage payment. And the next thing is insurance. So you may be saying, why? what am I paying insurance on? Well, you're paying insurance on the possibility that you may not pay your mortgage in the future. This is insurance for the bank so that they can have insurance on you not paying your mortgage in the future. It sounds weird, but anybody can get insurance for anything. The bank has it on you not paying your mortgage. So you have to pay part of that. Now, you may not always or you will not always have to pay that. Once you pay down 20% of the, the value of your home, you can write to your lender, call your lender, and tell them to take the insurance 
off your loan. That's pretty cool. So your your uh, monthly payment would go down substantially after that. Now, the cool thing about that also is that if you can pay save up for a 20% down payment, you would never have to pay the insurance because you've already paid at the very beginning with your down payment 20% of the cost of your home. So that's cool. So that's an incentive. Not many people can put down 20%. I'm not saying you don't need to buy a house if you can't put down 20% because very few people would. But if you can, that's kind of a cool thing. So let me go over this again. You pay principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Principal P, interest I, taxes T, insurance I. Those in the business, they call your pity payment. P-I-T-I, pity payment. So it's an easy way to remember those things. All right. So let's talk about pre-qualification versus pre-approval. Pre-qualification is simply a rough estimate of how much you can borrow. You can go online to almost any lender's website and see what you would be pre-qualified for. That's just, you're just saying, hey, I make this much money. Uh, here's how long I want to borrow you know, for a 30-year mortgage and and they, you know, it might just spit out a number, okay? That's, it doesn't really mean much, okay? That is just a ballpark, if anything. There's really not much to it. Now, that's a pre-qualification. Now, a pre-approval is different. It involves a formal application process with the lender, and they, it provides you with a formal commitment from the lender stating how much you can borrow and at what rate, Okay. So, so they're saying we've taken into account how much you make, your debt-to-income ratio, we've taken into account your credit score, and based on those factors, here's what we say you could borrow based on those things. Then you want to decide your mortgage options. Okay, If you want, for instance, a low monthly payment, put more money down or purchase a home, a more affordable home. If you want to build equity quickly, then make voluntary prepayments. So, you know, pay more than you than you have to on it. If you want if you want to, uh, you know, pay off the home early, pay more. You don't have to pay what your monthly mortgage rate is. If you can pay more, then it's good to. To minimize the risk, if that's what you want to do, take a thirty-year fixed-rate program with twenty percent down. There's not a lot of risk in that. So you can see that there's a lot of factors there. Uh, now, so let's talk a little bit um, about just kind of how all this works. Your lender decides what you can borrow, but remember, you decide what you can afford. So just because your lender says that you can buy, you can borrow $300,000, that in no way means that you should buy a $300,000 house. You decide what you can afford. You decide what you're comfortable with. If it's half of what the lender says you can borrow, then that's fine. You, No one needs to talk you into buying a more expensive house. And that's what I believe. Okay, in your pre-approval letter, which is something that, the, that your lender will give you, make sure the monthly payment is the amount you're comfortable with paying with each month. So in other words, don't just look at... Uh, don't just look at the, the amount you're going to borrow. Look at that, but don't just look at it. Don't just look at the terms. Don't just look at the rate, but look at the monthly payment that when all is said and done, you will be paying monthly. Is that something that you're comfortable with paying each month? 
Now, one rule of thumb is that it's best to spend no more than a third of your gross income, monthly income, on the payment. Okay? Does that make sense? Best to, to spend no more than a third of your gross monthly income on your mortgage payment. And some even say a fourth, but, but a third is generally accepted as a safe measurement. Now, let's move on to the next step. Finding your home. One of the funnest things about uh, the house search. Going and looking at all these houses and, and seeing what you like and you don't like. Now, you're going to, before you do that, define your home criteria. Analyze your values. See what you need. See what you want. Now, personally, when I do this with people, 90% of the time, I do it sitting next to them with my computer open, with the MLS there, so that we can look. Because sometimes, not all the times, people, they just don't know what's out there. And so they think, well, I want a, I want a 3,000 square foot house and I want four bedrooms and I want three bathrooms and, and I want two garages. And I'm saying, okay, okay, cool, cool. And they say, and, and uh, we, we can't spend more than $100,000. Now, I don't know where you're listening to this from, but here in Austin, that house that I just described, under $100,000, is pretty hard to find, if not non-existent. And if it did exist, I wouldn't want to live there, because it's going to be such a dilapidated shack that, that no one would want to live there. And so, you know, sometimes if people just give me that criteria over email, and I say, you know, nothing, nothing came back, it's kind of like they didn't believe me, like I, like I didn't search hard enough for them. But when I'm sitting right there with them and I say, okay, let's put this in, and they see me put it in, and then I hit search, and nothing comes back, and they say, oh. And maybe that they think, well, maybe I don't need all those things. Maybe I just, Maybe I just kind of wanted a few of those things. I thought that they would be nice, but, you know, it's it's really just... You know, it's really just the two of us. We probably only need a, a two-bedroom house. You know, we, we probably only need a two-bedroom house, and, and that still gives us one guest room. And, you know, instead of three full bathrooms, maybe we really only need, like, one-and-a-half bathrooms. And in 3,000 square footage, that's that's a lot. We probably only need, like, 1,700. And, 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 and so then the real the the expectations they get more realistic and that house can possibly be purchased for around $100,000. And so I I I view it as my job to help people uh, see what is realistic, what's out there. I do no one no favors by giving them unrealistic expectations. Okay? And so that's the other my other part of my job is is um, help them understanding the rules of the market how things work, what is realistic, and and what's available. Now, when you go and actually view a home, here's one thing to keep in mind. The average home buyer looks at 15 houses before they pick one. Uh, 15. Now, I think that if I do my job correctly, that it'll be less than that. It'll probably be more like eight. Now, I'll show them all 15 if need be. We'll show them more if need be, if the right house just isn't out there. and, and But I, I know that it's out there, but we just haven't found it yet. I, I'll show them more. 
But I believe if we do our homework on the front end, if we know what we want, that we can narrow it down better and we can save everyone's time. So when viewing a home, remember that what, what you consider and what your agent considers will be different and that's okay. Because you'll want to look at the layout and you'll want to look at the space and, and the sense of value and the convenience of location to your job and to your schools or your kids' schools and, and the features and amenities and things like that. And that's great and you need to do that. What I'll be looking for is how it compares in terms of size, layout, and value to other homes in the area. And I'll look how it's well maintained and there, if there are any structural concerns. Those are the kind of things that I'll look for. And we both need to do that job. It takes both of us to do that job. So let's say we do all that and we find the house. And you, you walk in and you say, this is great. I, I like this house. Th this is good. So there are three components to making the first offer. The first is the price. Now, the price, the offer must reflect true market value of the home. So what does that mean? Well, prices are all relevant. Now, I could buy a one-bedroom, one-bath home in one part of Boston, and it cost $70,000. If that exact same house was in another part of Austin, it could cost maybe $300,000. That's just in Austin. That's one city. So it needs to reflect what the market value around it is. And, and there's something about first-time homebuyers, and maybe it's all buyers, but they really want to get a first lowball offer in. Because... Yeah, I know they're asking 200000 for it, but maybe they'll take one eighty for it. And, and hey, if they reject one eighty, no problem. We, at least we tried, and then we could go back and start at you know, a more realistic offer, 193 or 195 or something like that. But let's just let's go ahead and throw that lowball in there and let's see if they offer it. And the real problem with that is is that a lot of people lose a house that they really want because they threw a lowball offer in there. Because here in Austin right now, the market is such that, that people are buying houses very quickly. This summer, things have ramped up a lot. And you kind of have to be aggressive. I, I recently had a client who, uh, she had sent me five houses that she wanted to see. Well, before the day came of our outing, four of them had already gone under contract. So things are going fast. And so I encourage my clients to only to stick to serious offers. Stick to serious offers. If you don't really want the house that badly, then you probably shouldn't be making an offer on it at all. So my advice is, and, in the, and at the end of the day, I work for my clients, so I do what they say. But at the end of the day, my advice is stay away from the lowball offers. Let's not insult anyone. Let's make a scenario where everyone wins. There is a place for lowball offers. That's for investors offering cash. There's a place for that. But for your first home, listen, let's get a deal that everybody is happy with, including you. That is my job. So the price, the offer must reflect true market value of the home. Terms, 
Uh, basic categories address, address timing and financial considerations. In other words, hey, my lease is up in three months. So we need to make sure that we close in three months or right around that time unless you're okay with paying rent on top of your mortgage. But most people aren't. So we need to make that timing correct. Um, we need to have the financial considerations. Are you going to have enough money for a down for the down payment by that time? Or, you know, you got that promotion and, and the lender is basing your rate on the money that you will make and they need to make sure that you've worked at that job for 30 days before you can cover that loan. And so uh, we need to make sure that we close more than 30 days out, which is pretty normal. Uh, the last thing is contingencies, uh, often referred to as conditions, allow you to opt out of the deal if the home has a problem. Now, I write in for all of my clients at least a 10-day option period. I love the 10-day option period. The 10-day option period is this. I put in the contract, we'll pay $100 for a 10-day option period. So as soon as we go under contract, you'll write that check to the owner. It'll go to them. Now, I write it in usually that the $100 option check will be credited back to you at closing. So in the end, you've really lost nothing. Now, what does the option period cover? The option period covers everything. If you, on the seventh day, wake up in the middle of the night and you've had a bad dream about this house, you can back out for any reason. For any reason. Now, that's not really what I encourage. I, I if, if the bad dream scenario comes up, you have that option, but that's not usually what happens. During that 10-day option period, you get an inspection on that house. And so if something uh, catastrophic comes up, if, you know, the inspector says, hey, this house is just, you know, it's just one storm away from falling down or something like that, you can back out. That's what the 10-day option period is for. for. For backing out, it can be for any reason, but uh, most of the time it's for a real one, that, uh, that the inspection didn't go well or something like that. So that, that's the reason for that. So Okay, so we talk about three components of making an offer, the price, the term, and the contingencies. And so let's talk about what's a fair price. How do you know... And we talked about it's it's based on the other houses in the area. That's true, but but how do you exactly know? So what I do for my clients is something called a comparative market analysis. It's a big word for saying I look at the houses that have sold recently that are similar to that house and find out what they sold for. So here's what I do. I search for homes in the same neighborhood as close as I can, I search for the home in that exact area of your house. This is hopefully the same neighborhood. If not, maybe I branch out just a little, a little bit farther, but not too much. So I'll look for homes. I'll look for the ones that have the exact same number of bedrooms and number of bathrooms as, as the home that you're looking at. And I'll look for uh, the square footage to be within 200 square feet of the house you're looking at. So I'll put all that criteria in, and then I'll search for the homes that have sold within the last six months. The sold homes that have sold within the last six months that meet all that criteria that we just talked about. 
So then, hopefully, we've probably got, you know, four to, I don't know, eight homes that match that criteria. After all that, those homes are going to be very, very similar to the one that you're looking at. Based on that, I'll see what they sold for. And I'll look and I'll see kind of a, a medium and I'll, I'll usually get a range in there, maybe between $20,000 range there, which is not, not very much, especially when you're talking about, you know, uh, from $240 to $240,000 to $260,000. It's really not that much. And I'll look in and I'll see, well, I think that this house that they're looking at is better than this one, but not quite as good condition as this one. And it's got this feature, which is better than that, but it lacks this feature. And so I will find, I'll pinpoint a price that is that is fair, that's good. And then I'll get back to you and I'll say, listen, this is what I think you should pay for this house, the maximum. And then we'll come up with an offer price, which is usually a little less than that. But based on, the bottom line is based on houses around the area, we come up with a fair market price. Okay, now let's talk about performing the due diligence. What, let's say we, we make that offer and because it's such a good offer, we got the house because it wasn't a low ball, because it was fair to everybody, it was good conditions. You got your offer accepted. What next? Do they just mail you keys? Nope, it doesn't work like that. You're under contract, but you don't own the house yet. And you're in the 10-day option period. You get the inspection. You get the property inspection. So call it an inspector. Arrange a day for him to come. I will coordinate with this this with him as well. Okay. He'll look for for everything. You would not believe what an inspection covers. It'll expose any structural or hidden issues. Um, you would not believe what they look at. And I give this word of warning, especially to my first time home buyers. The inspector will find something. In fact, he'll probably find a lot of things wrong with it. The thing is, the the codes are so vast these days that even if you built a new home, there would probably be a few things wrong with it. Just from the, from the very first person to walk into it, there would probably be a few things wrong with it. So that's really not a big deal. And that's why you need a good inspector who knows, hey, this is not right, but it's not a completely, it's not a terrible thing, it's an easy fix, or this is a big deal, and we, we should run away from this deal, and that kind of thing. So you're going to get that inspector to come out, he's going to do it, and then hopefully within the next day or so, he's going to send you that report, you can look over it. And then you can negotiate within your option period for the owners to fix some of those things if you really want. Or, or maybe you're cool with it. Maybe maybe you know you want to do those things yourself, or you know it's just not that big of a deal. But the point is, you know that thing before you're out of the option period. Okay. All right. Some of the things that the inspector is going to look for are the cracks and crumbles in the foundation. And for those listening in Austin, uh, I, w- I would say ninety or not over ninety percent of the foundations in town have some cracks in it. Um, it just depends how bad they are. The, especially last summer, the drought that we went through and then the subsequent rains were just murder on our foundations. So very rare to find something without some cracks in it. And, but but talk to your inspector in, about that. I'm not an expert on those things by any means. I've just seen uh, house after house after house with, with cracks in the foundation. 
Okay, they can also look for cracks inside the house and over windows. They'll look for water stains in the ceilings, floors. They'll look for faded or worn shingles or any mold issues and things like that. Now, let's talk about closing and pre-closing responsibilities. Your lender is going to do an appraisal to see if the house is worth what you have it under contract for because they don't want to pay for more. They don't want to pay for a house that is uh, not worth what you're paying for it. They want you to have a house that is worth the sales price. There's going to be a survey done. Now, the survey basically uh, is it's kind of like a blueprint, but it shows the footprint of the house in the land around it. Um, it, it it's kind of interesting. There's going to be a title search done and title insurance. Now, those things will be done by the title company, okay? So you don't have to go out and do a title search yourself or, or shop for title insurance. The title company is going to do that. Keep yourself mortgage worthy. I cannot state that enough. While you're under contract, don't borrow money for anything and pay all of your bills on time or early. On time or early. Don't borrow money for anything. Don't finance a refrigerator, don't buy a new car, and pay your bills on time. The reason is, if your credit changes, you may no longer qualify for the loan that you got. And that would be disastrous. You could lose the house. Okay, so the countdown to closing includes these things. Getting your settlement statement. That is from your lender. That's going to say, hey, here's everything that you're going to pay for and here's what you're going to have to pay for at the closing table. This is very important because the last thing that you want is to have done all this stuff, all your homework and all the searching and be at the last day when you're supposed to be handed over the keys and then being surprised at how much you have to pay and not having it. That would be disastrous. So the settlement statement is your lender's um, almost almost pinpoint accurate uh, statement of what you'll have to pay at that table so no one is surprised okay certified funds your lender will will take care of that evidence of insurance you'll need to get insurance on the home and then transfer a clear title the title company will take care of all of that the closing day is a fun day it should be a cool day there should be no surprises it's it's such a cool thing. You're going to sign papers to your hands hurt over and over and over again. And then they'll say, okay, go to lunch or go grab some coffee. Come here in a few hours and the money will have been wired. And then the coolest thing ever, they'll hand you keys to a house that's yours. And you own it and it's yours. Okay. So we got through all the hard stuff. Let's talk about protecting your investment. Keep it clean. Why are you telling me to clean my house, realtor? Because that keeps it in better shape. It's resale value. Keep an eye on it. Watch for signs of leaks, damage, and wear. Listen, if you fix the problems as they arise, it'll save you big money later. And I know a lot of times when you get into a home or even just something that's yours... I mean, I remember when I, I got a new car several years ago, and it was so cool to have a brand new car. I'd never had one before. And then as months went by, as years went by, little things would go wrong with it, and I'd think, well, I can live with that. 
little things would go wrong with it, and I'd say, I can live with that. Well, today I still have the same car. It kind of looks like it's falling apart. Because I didn't do those little fixes here and there, and it added up. And there's things that we can live with, but remember, you may not keep this house forever. Remember, in five years, you may have three more kids. Wow! And the house isn't going to be big enough for you. Or you may get tired of the area, you may get transferred, or something like that. Remember, you're going to to someday want to get top dollar for this house. Doing those fixes as you go will help with that. One more thing is keep receipts for the work you have done. If you get a new roof on the house, if you get a new air conditioner, new hot water heater, or major appliance, keep that receipt so you can give it to the next homeowner so you can say, um, listen, this is how new this is, or like that roof was just replaced in 2012. Those are important things. Okay, so that draws us to the conclusion of the first episode. Now, let's remember, this was just an outline. You can go and listen to this one over and over again if you want to. If you're thinking about buying a house now, maybe you only... Maybe you have to wait for another six months or something. Well, before you begin the actual process, before you're actually ready, you could listen to this again. It'll be there whenever you want. Also, you can contact me for questions. Um, now, let me give you some contact info from me, okay? I gave it to you earlier, but uh, feel free to do that, uh, to, to contact me with questions if if you need a realtor or know someone who does, contact me. Uh, listen, even if you're not in Austin, but you want me to kind of tap my network and see if there is a good realtor in your city and I can refer them to you, I'd be happy to do that. And just an interest in full disclosure, there are referral fees and I will be happy to take that from whoever lender I find, or excuse me, whoever realtor I find for you. Um, I, I will just be honest and upfront about everything like that. So remember, my name is Shane Blackshear. My email address is shane.blackshear at kw. So that's S-H-A-N-E dot Blackshear, B-L-A-C-K-S-H-E-A-R at kw, as in Keller Williams, dot com. You can reach me um, at at my website as well. If you want to go search the MLS and that's a multiple listing service where, uh, you know, the great majority, if not 99% of the homes for sale are listed. You can search that at my website. And that website is your, Y-O-U-R, dash, A-T-X, as in Austin, Texas, dash, Realtor, R-E-A-L-T-O-R, dot com. So it's your, dash, A-T-X, dash realtor.com you can go there and you can search everything and you can even search for or set yourself up for automated emails if you want okay so if you have questions email them to me email me at that at that email address i would love to answer your questions and i want to know what they are so that i can answer them on the air especially about lending because that's going to be the next podcast Lenders. I'm going to speak with a lender here in Austin, and we can ask him all of your questions. Okay, it's going to be a great interview. So send me your questions to my email address, shane.blackshare at kw.com. Okay, okay, I think that's it. 
I can't think of anything else I need to to remember to tell you. I want to hear from you. That's that's what I want to leave you with. I want to hear from you. Hey, tell me, did you like this? Did you hate this? Is there something that I could do better? Uh, what questions can I answer for you? All right. So for now, take care, and I hope I I hope I I I am being listened to again on the next podcast where we talk about lending. All right. Have a great day.